Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. The goal is not to be perfect by the end. The goal is to be better today. Simon Sinek. Becoming. I've been becoming a runner. Again. For most of my adult life, I'm either becoming a runner or thinking about being a runner. I rarely fall into the category of runner. One of my intentions for 2022 is to be a runner for the entire year. Not someone who is becoming a runner or someone who wants to be a runner, but a runner, period. I'm working my way up to 10 to 15 mile weeks. I'm well over this mileage as a walker, but it feels daunting as a runner. I want to be the kind of runner who isn't anxious about running a few miles each day. I want to be the kind of runner who looks forward to a daily run. Instead, I'm still recovering from being sick last month. I'm exhausted, and even when I squeak through a short two-mile run, I don't experience the surge of energy that I'm accustomed to after a run. My expectations and my reality are not aligned. This leads to frustration, disappointment, and feelings of failure. It's not just something that happens to people who are becoming runners. It can happen to teachers, too. One of these times is when we are teaching students to write with persuasive strategies. Persuasion is something that we are surrounded by in the world, yet often students have limited understanding of the nuances of persuasive writing. This makes it a rich and challenging topic for many writers and teachers. I'm learning to adjust my expectations for my reality as a runner. I cannot just follow the lockstep training program because my body has other needs. A yoga practice or lifting weights are just as important to me being a happy runner as logging more miles. Adjusting my speed for snowy roads is essential to being a runner who is healthy. Not adding mileage and rest are necessary to recover from being sick. Based on my needs, I can make adjustments that will lead to the ultimate goal of being a runner for the long haul. The same is true for teaching writers. There are many flashy programs or promising packets that guarantee kids will become persuasive writers. In the end, they create expectations that are not aligned with the reality of many classrooms. Just like becoming a runner, teaching writers is about the long-term goals. It takes gentle nudges, grace, and responding to the needs of students. This week, I'm happy to welcome Brian Seppe to the podcast. Brian is an instructional coach in Buffalo, New York. So Brian, I know that you've been posting some pictures of your runs and it's snowy there in New York. It's been snowy here too. Um, but I was just thinking about how much, you know, like our expectations of what we we want sometimes to happen don't always match reality. And 
Uh, so I was thinking about that, you know, in my life as a runner, but then also in some of the work that we're doing when it comes to persuasive strategies. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny you bring up the running piece because uh, that has been uh, a journey of mine over the last uh, several years, four years now, uh, since 2018. And I thought I had this sort of vision of who I would become uh, as a runner, uh, somebody who could amass, you know, 28 to 35 miles in a week. And the reality is, uh, it's just not all that possible. But that didn't mean that I stopped at, you know, that sort of goal or milestone uh, per week. I was the type of runner that when I got into it, I really wanted to have this vision of just being a little bit more healthy, putting some time and effort into uh, the idea of heart rate variability, um, becoming the type of person that could run a marathon. And I realized that I needed to slow down just a little bit and decide where to start. And uh, that started with sort of, could I run 26 miles in September of 2018? And uh, that's where my journey sort of started. Uh, it started with the reality of that and just seeing that I've been able to add to that uh, ever since and be have now become the person I thought I was going to become August of 2018. Um, and now I'm sort of becoming the person who can run some marathons or longer distances uh, without too much disruption. And I think you're right. There is this gap between what we see ourselves being uh, when we take on these new adventures uh, and maybe where we start or where we are. Brian, you are, like you just said, the thing that I needed to hear. And I think so often, you know, we make a vision for ourselves and then we want it. And like for me, I'm like, oh, over the course of the year and a year seems so long. And what I hear you saying is just like learning to adjust and find value in that. I I love being outside. I love the winter runs and um, watching how, just how the world changes over time. And so then when I'm thinking about, you know, workshop or writing workshop or teaching kids to write, um, so often I think we see these visions on social media or in the classroom across the hall. And the reality, at least my reality for learning to teach kids to write is that it took a number of years to get all of those parts in play. And so I'm really excited about this week's Big Fresh because it is about, um, it's about teaching kids some persuasive strategies, but being in it for the long haul, so to speak. Yeah. And the most, most important part that I take away from all of these um, sort of articles that we've collected uh, in, in this big fresh this week, uh, and even the work that you mentioned uh, in, in your lead uh, this week is just having expectations that match the reality of where we are in the process. Uh, and I think that's that's a thing to kind of think about. It's like, if you do the work today and you have some progress in your teaching of writing or what your writers do, uh, and you sort of can break it down, uh, as we'll mention in a few of these articles here, and really just trust the process, take your time with it, value the progress over the perfection, or what you said, like you mentioned earlier, just the idea that you see these polished um, pieces or content out there, and that might not match where your kids are. And I think just matching where your writers are and filling in those gaps day to day, that idea of progress over time, I think will have that sort of compound effect on who those writers become and how they see themselves. It really is a nice follow-up to the lead that you wrote last week, right? About just that space between better and our best. And um, I just love the way that you know, the, these ideas are building on one another. 
So in the free for all section, there's a ton of, there's just a ton of links in there. I do want to mention our book club because we just met last week for um, a book that you picked. And then this, then this month, Mandy Roback chose the picture book Unbound, The Life and Art of Judith Scott by Joyce Scott with Bree Spangler and Melissa Sweet. I love the art in this book. I think it's fantastic. So people can sign up for Choice Literacy Book Club and you can read along with that this month. Mandy Roback shared an article in the free for all section, and it's about letting her kids organize informational texts in our classroom library. Um, it's really a great article just about the process of, of letting kids organize the library. I think we think about it oftentimes for the narrative, uh, the story parts of our library, but in this case, Mandy was letting her kids organize informational texts. Yeah, and I think the thing with letting your kids organize around informational text or any part of your library, uh, for that matter, is the idea that it's really no different than sort of doing those general sorts that we would do with kids as they organized in the early primary levels. Um, having kids be able to sort and have that ownership over your classroom environment, especially the texts uh, and the information in your library is just a critical part of the buy-in for wanting to come back to that space, wanting to value that space, wanting to recommend from that space. And I think all of those are critical, critical pieces. It's so true. Um, I also, I'm excited about um, making an article that I wrote last year, free for everybody. It's um, four notebook pages to help kids balance facts and emotions when writing persuasively. Uh, I I use my writer's notebook all the time as a writer, and I do mostly non-narrative writing. And so I think sometimes we have a misconception that notebook work is work that we do for narrative writing or for story writing. And for me, I use it so much in non-narrative. And so these are four notebook pages that I think are really powerful when we're teaching some persuasive strategies. So I have samples in there and just an explanation of how to, to um, use those pages with kids. Yeah. And there, there's a piece of your article that really jumped out at me. Uh, the the exemplar pages, the demonstration pages that you put in there uh, that you could use these sort of mini charts and uh, sample pages in the notebook are so accessible for all of us in teaching writing. Uh, and I also think that those are great artifacts to leave behind for kids so they can see that process. And like you said, value the notebook in a different way. Um, I love thinking about structures uh, as you you have in the, in the first part of that. Uh, and then you move into how do we think about like issues in our notebooks uh, and how can we use those um, to kind of get more of that persuasive writing uh, done and in, enjoy the process a little bit more. Um, and I love the idea of tap the emotions. There was there was a part that you had in there too that, that towards the end really jumped out at me, um, getting students to kind of have the fact uh, that they might be putting in there uh, for some of their persuasive, persuasive writing, but then also getting into some of the words that can support uh, some of that language around those emotions. I thought, um, yeah, that's just a great way, great tool. And I, I could see so many people pulling that down and using it in their classrooms for sure. Thanks, Brian. I, I love teaching kids how to write um, and just breaking that down. And I, I appreciate those words about my article because um, it was the, it was really intentional 
Um, and those are pick, those are tried and true pages that I've used with kids um, at multiple grade levels. And it does, it just breaks down the process for them and they're able to, to really figure out how to be a, a writer who uses persuasion. In our classic classroom section, Leanne Eck has an article um, about opinion journals. And this is the, the concept that I'm sure a lot of us have heard and maybe have tried, but where you um, take a bunch of composition notebooks and you give each of them a different subject. And then kids can take turn, they, they can write about their ideas about that subject. So um, Leanne has an an opinion notebook about uh, hair, which in her middle school classroom, I'm sure <laughs> kids have lots to say about, or an opinion notebook about music and one about uh, friendship. And so um, this article is about is about how to use that and use it in multiple ways so that kids have lots of practice writing about their opinions. This is another one of those articles that really jumped out at me because, you know, she vetted the topics that she chose for middle school, making them uh, topics that middle schoolers have opinions about, right? They're coming equipped with opinions about parents, about relationships, about social media. What was really neat about it was the interaction part, right? Because you think, get into these notebooks and they do a little bit of that opinion writing, but then the responses back in that space that she created uh, with her kids or for her kids around being able to respond back to some of the opinions that are in the notebook. I just think it's such an interest. I, I haven't thought about that concept of what that could mean and the power that could mean um, bringing it into a, a middle school classroom or an upper elementary classroom. But the idea that, that students felt seen and valued um, and heard uh, with their opinions, and also opening their perspective to um, alternative opinions uh, that they may not have considered. And I just think it was just such a uh, an automatic structure that probably occurred in her room that, um, you know, you really didn't have to put much into because it sort of ran itself a little bit. And I, I just thought it was just such a powerful, powerful piece. So... You're exactly right. And she includes, you know, a couple pages from those notebooks so we can see what kids are writing. Um, one of the challenges, I think, uh, as kids move up through the grades is giving them time that to, to write with low stakes, you know, like just write and developing that fluency. And this is one of those ways that I think we can do that in the upper grades or middle school. Melanie Meehan has an article um, and it's a it's really breaking down a conference or a series of conferences that she has with a student who um, is is somebody who can talk through things but doesn't always want to put words on the page. And so Melanie is using pictures to provide a, an access point for him to enter into a writing. And I I really valued this article, um, just helping us realize what what a like our culture is all about image. And when we can bring that in and use that as a springboard into writing, I, I thought it was something that really well, um, it really impacted me as a teacher of writing. Yeah. And I think especially when it comes to, to persuasive writing or thinking uh, in, in this case, in the way that she sort of cares for this conference and the small group work that she's doing, but then also um, really getting into student interests. And I thought she had a couple of lines in here that really jumped off the page at me. Uh, one of them was, anytime that we can link 
pictures or images to student interest and what they're experts in or about, um, there's real power in that. And the idea that we can tap into confidence and curiosity in order to build competence in writing, I thought really landed with me in a way that I, I, I hadn't thought about before. And she's so right in this article, the idea that you could put these images in front of a, a student or a writer and have them really rehearse verbally what it is, the ideas or the ideas they have around these images and really think through how that might land onto the page is just sort of that sometimes that oral rehearsal that we miss, or like you said, we rush that process a little bit perhaps. And this was just a great reminder of like valuing that space, taking time with it, allowing students to articulate their thoughts uh, orally or verbally first before using images before we actually take to the page, which is such a nice little reminder and pause for the power that that brings to a classroom and a writer. Melanie does such a great job too of dropping us right into to that conference and knowing like just what's happening there in the classroom. And I think um, I think that's just it's good writing. It's a great article for people to check out. Oh, I brought back an encore uh, video from Christy Rush Levine, and I think any time that we can drop into Christy's classroom, uh, there's some potential to learn. And so she is um, she has a. Um, it's part of a mini lesson where she's helping her kids create this opinion proof chart in their notebooks. It's like finding evidence to support your opinion. And it's just, again, another great structure to help kids crack open that process of, of using persuasion and writing. So Brian, I know that you read David Pittman's uh, new article. Uh, I think it's really interesting what he's doing in this article. It's for literacy leaders. It's in our leaders lounge. And what Brian, or not Brian, David is doing, you're Brian, David, but you guys write in similar ways sometimes. Um, but what David is doing is he's saying like, here's the kind of feedback that we can do. And he's broken that down. And when you are giving this kind of feedback as a coach or as an instructional leader, then you can kind of pinpoint where your relationship is with that colleague. And so I thought it was helpful uh, when I was thinking about how do I build trust? How do I move the coaching work uh, into moving towards change? First of all, I love this article. Uh, and like you said, I think we write in, in similar ways or think in similar ways around the work that we're doing. And he did such a great job of just dropping us into those moments in the relationships, these sort of um, predictable relationships that we might have uh, out there in our, on our campuses. And what's, what's interesting about this piece is that there are predictable ways in which we're giving feedback or learning together. Uh, and it is contingent on the relationship you have with your colleague and where you are in that process. Uh, relationships and trust take time, uh, as we know, and he points out in this article. But depending on where you are in that time frame dictates or can sometimes um, be a, a reason for the type of feedback you're giving. And I think in order to move it forward, it's important that we uh, pause to kind of think about where we are in those relationships uh, and think about sort of the next steps. And I think he does a nice job of really framing out some of the ways that you can acknowledge both where you are and how you might move forward um, to kind of elevate the work, 
or have an impact, uh, a little bit, a little bit more of an impact on the students that we're serving as a result of the the learning we're doing together. So, yeah, really well done uh, on David's part for sure. I agree. And he has this series of questions when he closes the article that I think are just valuable to do some reflection. But one of the two questions that really struck me um, was one was, what does it say about the level of trust or motivation you have in providing this feedback? And like for me, that was a new lens to consider that the feedback I give is really hinges on the trust that I have with the teacher. And then he follows that that question up with, is the feedback safe or direct? And I thought, um, like, like juxtaposing those two things, safe feedback or direct feedback um, next to each other. Because I like to think of myself as somebody who's pretty direct. Um, but yet, oftentimes, when that trust isn't developed, then the coaching conversations do land in this softer, um, safer ground. Yeah. And with that, I'm not sure that, you know, my, myself included, uh, if I'm giving that safe feedback, uh, really reflecting on that one, but then two, asking myself the, the question, as he points out in the article, is like, is it really moving the work forward? Is it having an impact uh, on the students or the learning that we're uh, embarking on? And I think it's a really critical element as a coach to think about where you are in the journey, the trust you've built, and the places we could potentially grow our way into I think that Matt Renwick's, um, it's an excerpt from one of his newsletters called Hunt for a Feeling. I thought this paired really well with the other uh, articles in Leaders Lounge. Matt, um, in this in this article, he is asking or reminding us that when we walk into a room that it's important to see what's going on there, but it's also important to hunt for a feeling and to name that feeling. Um, and so then he gives some just direct uh, steps that we can follow in order to do that. Matt has a brand new book coming out uh, that I'm super excited about, and it is called Lead Like a Coach. And also in our newsletter, in the free-for-all section, there's a link there that you can get a free ebook in anticipation of release, the release of Lead Like a Coach. I do hope that people will check this out. I think it's going to be a really fantastic book for um, for coaches and also principals. And I think that it's going to be a great book for people who are looking maybe for a common read between a coach and a principal. This book would be uh, one that I think is going to bridge a lot of healthy conversations in schools where there's coaches uh, working alongside principals. I'm excited to get the book. I think the book is going to be great. Um, but I did go through the ebook too. And I will tell you the ebook that's included is something that as writers ourselves in leading a sort of a writerly life, uh, there are so many tips and ways that can, you know, you can, you can apply right away. Uh, and I know some of the, the strategies that he has in there have really helped me as a writer. Uh, think about ways that I can bring my work, what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, uh, and really think about how do I expand that content so that it can support uh, not only myself as a writer and the thinking that I'm doing, but also perhaps have a little bit of a benefit for others who are in a similar spot or working through the same things that I'm working through. So there are some really rich how-to strategies that you can try as a writer uh, in this in this free ebook uh, that's included in the newsletter this month. So I, I was excited to dive into that 
and I'm taking some of those challenges uh, to heart and really thinking about our next writing group and ways that I might apply some of those strategies uh, for sure. Matt is a gem and nobody's going to be disappointed when they follow links to his articles and definitely grab that ebook. Like you said, I, I'm looking forward to writing group too. I was kind of thinking the same thing. He just gives great tips in that. Uh, there's an instructional coach, Mary Brower, and she has a coaching minute this week talking about the importance of patience. So again, when I'm thinking about developing trust, I realize that the patience I have um, really makes a difference in that, in building the trust that a, a relationship needs. But then what Mary does is she talks about having patience with ourselves, which just reminds me of the beginning of our conversation, right? <laughs> like, I want to be this kind of runner and it's taking four years and that that's okay um, also. Yeah. And I think the important thing with the patience is, you know, what's obvious uh, being patient for ourselves and for others, I think that idea of what's obvious to us, or um, if we were to compare that back to the running conversation we had at the outset, the idea that somebody who is running multiple marathons or ultras, what's obvious to them uh, isn't always obvious to that novice runner or depending on where that person is in the journey of their work. And I think really stepping back, being patient, understanding that and then working from a place where we're meeting people where they are um, and or meeting ourselves where we are on that journey and giving ourselves a little bit of grace and understanding to have some patience throughout the process and really value that process. That's what really this collection in the Leaders Lounge this week is about is just that patience and that trust building. And you have an article um, uh, Brian, I kind of refer to you as like the resident how-to writer on choice literacy. I just think it's it's your niche and you're really good at breaking down that process for people. And this article is, it's a checklist of ideas to support new teachers. And what I I value about it is that it's it's so specific. It's about these new te- it's about new teachers that are coming in and exactly what are their needs. And you start at the very beginning and you give three reminders and it's show up, script critical moves, and number three is hold time and space. And I think there it's just it's wise in in its simplicity and it's complex in its simplicity, but just that idea of showing up. Um, makes a big difference. So this is an article that's available. um, I just pulled back because I really wanted people to to take some time and think about new teachers, especially right now at this time of the year, right? Like I think about when I was a new teacher, I was so excited. And then in February, I was so tired. (laughs) You don't know if you're going to keep going or not. And so this is just a great article um, written in a way that I can can really use it with new teachers. Yeah. And I think if nothing else, I think those reminders, like you said, you know, the idea of showing up, it may sound logical and simple. Um, but the reality is we can get sort of off track or sidetracked and we don't make that commitment, uh, to be there when they need us most. And that could be in the morning. That could be when we're scheduled. It could be after school. But that idea of that face-to-face contact or the commitment to swing by the room um, in moments where I have time in my own schedule makes a big difference. Because as you mentioned, as a new teacher, if we all think back to that stage um, and what's obvious to us now is not always obvious to our former selves in that that spot as a new teacher, um, we would have needed, you know, 
different things at different times. And I think the idea that first principle of showing up um, and being there is, is, is part of it. Then the idea of like really scripting those critical moves. Can you provide a process or a pathway that supports new teachers in attaining some level of success? That idea of the progress principle, can they get um, to experience what it's like to see something through, to motivate a writer, um, whatever it is. But if that means scripting the critical moves from getting the chart done to maybe unpacking the entire unit that you're heading down, all of those little things have a sort of a compound uh, effect on the work and the success and the confidence that they're gaining as they continue to build through those things. Um, so I, I do think there are some things in there that I really tried to think about my exact work and what were the principles and sort of how-tos, as, as you mentioned, about the work uh, that I'm doing with new teachers and in those particular moments. So yeah, that's it, it's it's a good one. It's a good reminder, and I'd love to hear uh, what people have added to it or what they would add to working with new teachers too. So that'd be great. I'm curious, Brian, just like what's What's most exciting right now in your work? What are you doing right now that that is fun or delightful for you? What feels real and authentic? Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I'm, you know, with the push from Matt's work uh, in the ebook, I think I'm really taking time to write for myself uh, and really spending some time and building that out. And what does that mean? Um, he has a great quote in his ebook uh, from Tom Romano. And, you know, it's like, write for yourself and write for others. And I, I really am trying to lean into that a little bit more. Uh, I think that's been a habit that, you know, I sign up for writing groups. I uh, want to participate in writing clubs. And I use those anecdotes a lot of times with my colleagues and the students we're serving, because I think, yeah, I want to be the type of person, as you mentioned, you want to be the type of person who runs uh, across an entire year or is a runner. I also want to be the type of person that is a writer. And I think that takes commitment, that takes time, that takes the patience that we mentioned in, in this piece here. Um, and there are some strategies that I have to apply. I really have to slow things down, find the time, find the space, make it so that it's not so overwhelming uh, or unattainable. And I think with all of these pieces this week, whether it was you know, slowing students down to look at images and value that oral rehearsal uh, or allowing students to get into notebooks where they can explore and have sort of, you know, uninterrupted time in their own opinions. Um, all of those things really matter. And I think I'm taking time with my colleagues right now to really slow things down with students. There's no rush to you know, have writers get to some space. It's really just about acknowledging where students are. We did some research in a couple classrooms this week where we really just held ourselves to the research. We wanted to get curious about how kids are processing some of their informational writing uh, in some classrooms. And we really went on this sort of research-only conference uh, kind of flow, if you will, and um, we acknowledged their strengths as writers, and we talked about the subtle moves that we might make in building up their identity as writers, um, rather than focusing on what's the product they're going to hand in uh, at the end uh, of a writing unit. And I think, yeah, leaning into those spaces where we can slow down, value the progress, see people for what they're doing and how they're showing up, because all of us want to show up and contribute in meaningful ways. And I think so do our kids. Our kids are showing up and they want to participate. They want to be their best selves. 
Um, but sometimes when we get sort of lost in what's the track, where do I have to be? Um, we miss those signs of really just being all in on students' interests and uh, valuing who they are as writers and what they know and what they bring to the table. Uh, and I think this week's sort of roundup, if you will, is, is a great reminder to do some of those things, to slow it down, to see students for who they are as writers and to get them to see themselves uh, as the writers they want to become too. At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it, which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.